The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Our message this morning is, How Should We Be Responding to the World Situation? It's based upon 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Listen to these words. First of all, then, Paul says, and he's, the then is the therefore because of what he just said, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the acknowledgement of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, a man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, Paul says, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. That is, hands that are busy in doing the will of God. Lifting up hands is a, is a picture of surrender to Almighty, Almighty God. And he says, I want you to pray like this when you get together. This is talking about prayer together. When they come together to pray, this is how they ought to pray. Uh, what I'd like you to notice, first of all, is back in chapter 1, verse 18, he talks about fighting the good fight. He's telling Timothy he needs to fight the good fight. And he says in verse 18, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight. So the good fight he's talking about is going to be won through prayer, primarily. And that's what he's talking about here. Um, he says in, in verse 1, then or therefore, now he's going to tell Timothy how to war a good warfare. First of all, that is first and most important, your duty is prayer in all its forms. He, he's, quite literally, he says, I exhort you to make petitions. This warfare praying is described with four key terms, four words for prayer. There are many more in the New Testament, but these four speak specifically. He says, entreaties, which is a Greek word, diasis, which means expressing deeply felt need. It's emphasizing our insufficiency, that we need God's help. Secondly, prayers, prosukos, which is, is emphasizing being humble before God, a humble approach to God. We treat him with devotion and worship. And then petitions, in tuxes, means to have an audience with a king, somebody far above you, that you're able and, will, and they are willing for you to tell them what is on your mind. The idea of exercising privilege to speak freely before a king with boldness of access or confidence before the one who can act as, on your behalf. And then finally, the last word he uses is thanksgivings, which is the complement of true prayer, gratitude for manifestations of grace in the lives of those prayed for. Why? Why is all this necessary, that we, that we respond to the world's situation in this way? Well, first of all, it's because this world's rulers need guidance. We're told that in verses 1 and 2, that they need guidance. They need God's guidance, and therefore, they ought to come before God with requests and prayer so that he can help them. 
And he says that we, all men, are quite literally on behalf of all men and those who rule over them, which are those who are in authority. Notice in Romans 13. Romans 13 is a passage where it talks about how we ought to treat those who have authority over us. Listen to this. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. That's pretty clear, that God is the one who establishes all authority on the earth among men. Therefore, he says, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil behavior. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and and you will have praise from the same people. For it is a minister of God that is this authority that God has established. It is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid." For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only to, not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience sake. This is how to have a clean conscience, is sub- submit yourself to the authorities that God has established. We may not like what those authorities uh, command us to do, but we are to see them as agents of the living God. He has put them in place. And so this is what he is saying. And uh, so because this world's rulers are in a place where God has placed them and they need divine guidance so that they can do what God wants them to do, they are God-ordained peacekeepers and they need God's help in knowing how to do that. I think what we have seen with this pandemic is that there are men who are working and making decisions and trying to make the best decisions they can but they are not above criticism. They will constantly be criticized because no one can do it perfectly. And so he tells them to pray, that we have to pray so that these men who are in this place are enabled by the wisdom of God. So instead of criticizing them, we are called upon to pray for them. That's the teaching of Scripture. We should desire the continuance and peaceful condition of government, which has been appointed by God. But what about governments that are hostile to God? Some people always bring that up. If, what, what about those governments that are hostile to God's servants? Well, guess what? When he wrote this letter, Nero was on the throne at that time. He had already executed Paul and Peter. And yet, God said we should submit to his authority. So, in fact, all the magistrates who existed at this time that this letter was written were sworn enemies of Christ. John Calvin said, God appointed magistrates and princes for the preservation of mankind. And no matter how much they fall short of the divine appointment, still we must not cease to love what belongs to God and to desire that it may remain in force. That is the reason why believers in whatever country they live must not only obey the laws of the government of magistrates, but likewise in their prayers supplicate God for their salvation. When was the last time you prayed for the salvation of those that you are most critical of who are government officials? And this is what he told us to do. Now, that's not being a fan of a particular politician. It is being a believer who is called upon to intercede for them. When they're not keeping peace, we should pray that God will regenerate them, restrain them, or remove them. When one of the biggest uh, missionary movements in the world took place very early on, and it was uh, it was Thomas, I believe, that went to, to to Assyria, and he led many people to Christ. 
Today, if you go to Iraq, you'll discover that there are many, many Christians in Iraq. And the reason is, is because of this missional movement that took place. And so, we ought to understand that God is greater than what we are dealing with. And he, what he does is he talks here about our prayer should produce this kind of fruit. The first fruit is a peaceful life. It's important that Christians are in a context in which they live a peaceful life, not, not in a context of lawlessness or chaos where magistrates do not faithfully wield the sword, but they should, they should be in a place where peace is reigning. Now, one of the reasons that the gospel of Jesus Christ spread so rapidly in the Roman Empire was because of what was called Pax Romanus, which is the, the peace of Rome. The second fruit is preservation of godliness, the kind of freedom that allows us to worship God and give him what he deserves. I've noticed this. We can get upset about a lot of things, but I think we forget that we have access to God 24 hours a day. There is no time, no situation in which we can address God. Now, we don't have to go before a crowd of unbelievers in order to pray with all of the volume that we can for them to know that we are worshipers of the living God. We can pray wherever we are under whatever circumstances we face. The third fruit he mentions is dignity and gravity. It's the business of magistrates to prevent men from abandoning themselves to brutal filthiness or vicious conduct to promote decency and moderation. You know, it's an important characteristic of gospel witness, that is dignity. After all, you can't be Bozo the Clown, who embraces every foolish fad of this world and expect to effectively represent Christ, because we're representing the God of the universe, the eternal Son of God. So if these three things are taken away, what will life look like? Well, it's described for us in Second Thessalonians 2, and it's called the day of the Lord. It's a day in which there's going to be very great difficulties on this earth to live in because God's hand has been lifted off of it. Therefore, if we care about peace of society or godliness or decency, but most of all the advance of the gospel, we ought to pray for those who have this God-given responsibility. So when you look at uh, Romans chapter 13, and it d- describes for you all the magistrates that have authority that rule, you ought to be uh, concerned to pray for them. I was uh, kind of convicted by this because I couldn't tell you the, the, the cabinet of the present president. I couldn't tell you who was over what. But I did find out. I went online and got the list of all of those magistrates because I want to pray for them because that's what we're called to do here. So the first reason is we is that uh, they need wisdom. The second reason is is because God desires all men to be saved. That's a stunning, stunning uh, statement that God desires all men to be saved. Why is God pleased when we pray in this way? It is the Father's desire and design, his passion and purpose, that he hear every language on the face of the earth used in the worship and praise of his Son. Just think of it, the, the language that you speak, the particular kind of language you speak. It's probably English, but there's probably some uh, parts of it that, that have certain characteristics. And God wants to hear our voices worshiping the living Christ. Remember, Jesus could say, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's an expression of the Father's heart about his Son. But not just vain repetition. He doesn't want us to just to do like the pagans do and repeat the same word over and over and over again. The salvation which brings uh, 
the salvation of God, with, with God, which brings us, is to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants us to acknowledge. That word knowledge means acknowledgement. In other words, come to understand it, know it, and know that it's true. It's the acknowledgement of the truth or the recognition of deep spiritual discernment. It's possible for a person to learn many things about the gospel in merely intellectual fashion, but not to recognize the appropriate truth. Because the the next reason is, the last reason, the third reason is because Christ, the reason we should pray is because Christ is the one mediator between God and men. Why should we pray for all men? There are many nations and one God. Many nations and one God. Romans chapter 3, verse 29, Paul writes, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? And he says, Yes, of the Gentiles also, since indeed God will justify the circumcised, that is the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised, that is the Gentiles, through faith. And he is one God. God stands in the same ultimate relation to all his creatures. God is one, and therefore there is only one will for all mankind, and his will is for you to know Jesus Christ. This is why uh, to reject the gospel is to reject the will of God, because God wants you to submit and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, those who do not know God, that's what they're called, those who reject the gospel, they don't know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And as there is only one God, so there is only one way to God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to John fourteen six. It says, Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is a man. He is, he has the, the nature of a man. He has come into the world to save us. And in order to do that, he had to become a man. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. We're told in Isaiah 7:14, a prophetic word. He says, a, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That word, Emmanuel, or Emmanuel, is a Hebrew word that means God with us. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. We have God with us. He is like us. He's a man, and yet he is God. Job said, if there's, if there were someone to arbitrate between us, this is back before Jesus came. He says, if there were someone to arbitrate between us, that is between me and God, to lay his hand upon us both, that would be a wonderful thing. But Paul says to us, there's one mediator, one go-between between God and all mankind. And that is not just for Jews only, it's for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is truly God and truly man. He can lay his hand on us both. He can bring about, he is the middleman, he is the go-between. And he, and we're told how in the world he can reconcile us. Well, he, he does this by giving himself as a ransom for all. This becomes a title of Jesus, the one who gave himself as a ransom for all. A ransom for all is a word that Paul had to, had to actually, uh, create. It, what he does is that he takes the word that was used, lutron, which was used to describe the kind of price that had to be paid in order for, to set a slave free, and instead he uses the word anti-lutron, which means in place of a ransom. And so he's, ta- he's talking about the thing that's in place of the ransom is Jesus himself. 
And this is a this is the the word lutron or, or ransom was a common word for ransoming a slave or a prisoner by gaining freedom for him. In fact, in Mark chapter ten forty five, we are told even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, an anti lutron. That is to pay the payment of the price that it would take to set the slave free. And so we have been given the price for our freedom, and that price is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has paid the price. And he says it's for the benefit of those that upon whom he has set his love, for the benefit of all are invited to come. There's no place or people to which the gospel, this gospel of the ransom for all, will not penetrate. There is no group of people you will ever run into around this world that you can't invite them to come to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, there are, I mentioned a while ago that there are a million Christians in Iraq, and that took place because of a very early mission movement that was led by Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, and there was a 1.2 million Assyrians who became Christians. It's the largest known missionary movement of the, in the early centuries all the way to China. And notice the testimony given at its own time. We're told in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, he appeared once at the consummation of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He came at the precise time. That expression, he came at the fullness of times, is quite literally what it says. It means that he came at just the time that God designated. He came in order to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He is the anti-lutron. He's, he is the ransom price for all of us to be set free. And and this, the conclusion of this message that we have here, I'll have to go back to the, to the text in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. In that passage, you have the conclusion in verses 7 and 8. For this I was appointed, a preacher, that is one who proclaimed salvation through Christ, and an apostle, one sent by Christ to tell his message. He says, I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And that's quite a, that's quite a command on us that we are to, as when we gather, we always have those times of corporate prayer in which we lift our hands before the, the King of glory and ask him to do what we want to see him do, which is to save the lost. He has been become, I, I sent a note to my sister this morning uh, who has the coronavirus right now, and I told her that uh, Jesus has already said that, that we are healed by his stripes, and I just want that to become a reality in your life. I want you to experience being healed by his stripes because he has already borne the stripes and he has already declared that his healing is available to all those who turn to him. Um, and so this is exactly what we see here. We are to pray. We are to pray for all those in authority. Sometimes those are the people we don't want to pray for, but we are called upon to do that very thing because it is only those who have been put there by God and in, by his act, his decision, who can maintain the kind of atmosphere we need for the advancement of the gospel throughout the world. 
And so we should pray for not only our president, but for his cabinet and for all men who are in places of authority, that God would give them the wisdom they need in order to bring about the kind of atmosphere, the kind of like Pax Romanus, the peace of Rome. Now we needed the peace of the United States, and we need to see peace in, in the place that we live so that the gospel can go out and people can be impacted by the prayers of the saints. Isn't that something that God has called us to pray? That's the main thing he has told us to do. And uh, we are told that even even uh, in regards to do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as as some as is the habit of some, but even as the day draws near, make sure that you come together to pray to Almighty God. You know, I found out that, I just found this out not too long ago, that you don't have to put a mask on to pray because God isn't susceptible to this pandemic. We can pray to him. We can go before him. There's nothing that they can do to keep us from coming before the living God in humility and prayer and to ask him to touch this world and to manifest the, the peace of Christ in the lives of people. And so this is what we want to do. We want to become consistent in praying for those in authority that God would give them the wisdom and the desire that they need in order to fulfill all that God has called them to. I'd like to read to you from a little document. Well, it's actually kind of a thick document, really. But it's called um, Apostolic Passion. It's written by a friend of mine, sort of. It's a, he's the son of the man who married Judy and I. His name is Floyd McClung, Jr., and this is what he says. What is his, his whole article is about apostolic passion. And he says, what is apostolic passion? He goes on and says, the term passion is used to describe everything from romance to hunger pangs. I don't know what it means for you, but for me, passion means whatever a person is willing to suffer for. In fact, that's the root meaning of the word. It comes from a Latin term, which means to suffer. It is what you hunger for so intensely that you will be willing to sacrifice anything to have it. Do you want to see people saved? Do you want to see people come to faith in Christ and turn from their wickedness and, and turn to the living Christ and experience eternal life? experience a relationship with the living Christ, that's what we ought to be willing to suffer for. And that's what this this little article is all about. But what he does in this, he lists a group of people, about everybody you could think of that you should be praying for, everyone in authority. You can get that information very quickly upon on the internet. You can find out who who is who are those who are in places of authority that we should be praying for, that God would empower them to fulfill their responsibility, their calling to have peace in this world so that we may be able to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I would say that what we need to do in regards to the world situation is, first of all, pray. We ought to pray on a regular basis. We ought to pray when we're together, when we're separate. We ought to pray that these men would be able to fulfill the calling that God has put upon their life to to promote peace in the world so that we could spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we ought to do. Our Father, we thank you so much for this message that you have given to us so clearly. 
that uh, you have called us to pray. You've called us to intercede for those who need your help, your enablement, Father, to fulfill exactly what you've called them to do. We pray that we'd see that in our lifetime, that we would see you working in a powerful way in the lives of people so that they could come to fulfill the calling which they have. I pray that you'd help us not to be uh, down on leaders in the world, but rather be prayer warriors for them. Help us to be those who, who call upon your name together, lifting up holy hands so we could see the effect of it as you work in the lives of people. We pray that the gospel would go out in power today. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.